Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you all, and I'm very glad to be here. It's a privilege, actually, to open God's Word. And uh, this morning, we'll be looking from Mark's Gospel. Uh, we have started a series in Apostles' uh, Creed, and uh, today we will look at the second statement in that creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. So before we come to study his word, let's approach God in prayer. Gracious and uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you and uh, we praise you, Lord. We thank you for your mercies and grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come and can study your word and we Lord, this morning, ask for your grace upon grace. We ask that you would help us to understand and also, Lord, help us to apply it in our lives. Help us not just be hearers, but be doers of your word. And also pray that, Lord, you would be with me and help me to preach your word faithfully for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So while I was, I was studying at Christ College, I studied here. I did my Bachelor's of Theology from this college. So while I was a student at this college, each year we were sent out on a mission trip to different Presbyterian churches. And so the purpose was to go and learn from that local church, observe the pastors and the elders, and also to serve, and also it gives you opportunity to preach and to do other things. So during one of these mission trips, we were sent to Terrigal uh, Presbyterian Church in the Central Coast. And uh, this was just before the Easter, so they were organizing an outreach. Uh, so they prepared a set of questions. They thought we'll uh, walk on the streets, uh, meet the random people there, and ask them a couple of questions about Easter. And one of the questions was, uh, who do you think Jesus is? So that was one of the questions. So we can get to know what people believe and then help them uh, to understand about Jesus. So when we were walking and meeting different people, we heard a lot of different answers from people. Uh, some said Jesus is a good teacher. Some said uh, he performed miracles. Uh, some said he is, uh, he is God, like he, Christians follow this person, Jesus. And uh, if you ask your friends at workplace, uh, you'll get some interesting answers as well. And if you ask a Hindu, uh, somebody from India, and they would say that Jesus is... Uh, one of the gods, uh, he's the god of the Western people. He's the god of white people. It's so not god of Indians, but he's the god of white people. And if you ask a Muslim, uh, if, if you have Muslim friends, they will say that Jesus is one of the prophets. We respect him, we honor him, uh, but he's a prophet. So there are different opinions out there, uh, different ideas of who Jesus is. But at the same time, as we come uh, to the Apostles' Creed, or as we come to look into the Gospels, uh, especially this morning as we look into Mark's Gospel, Mark presents a different kind of Jesus. Mark says this Jesus is Messiah, the Christ. This Jesus is Son of God. This Jesus is a Savior. Even the Apostles' Creed, that's what uh, they came up with. They said Jesus is the Son of God, He is our Lord. So now we have these different opinions, one opinion of the world, and then there is a different opinion of the gospel writers and the apostles' creed. Now which one is true? So how do we solve this problem? 
So what we need to do is we need to uh, go to the original sources. We need to go to the original source to find out uh, which is the accurate description of Jesus. And this morning, uh, Mark's gospel we have in front of us today. And this gospel was written within 30 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. So this gospel was written within 30 years of Jesus' life and ministry. So this is the closest in time uh, to this person, Jesus. But this gospel is not written by the disciple. Mark is not one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, we hear about Mark in the book of Acts. He is the son of Mary, basically. So if you know the book of Acts, Peter was imprisoned. He was in the prison and he had this miraculous escape. And he escapes from the prison. The angels open the door for him. And he comes to the house and knocking on the door. Uh, this is the house of Mary. And the people are gathered in the house and they're praying that God will somehow miraculously uh, release or cause something to escape or cause Peter to escape the prison. So these people were praying for Peter's release and Peter is here standing outside the door and knocking and one of the servant girl goes and opens the door. Before she opens the door, she recognizes the voice of Peter. She goes and tells to the people gathered who are praying that it is Peter outside. The people do not believe. They say, you're out of your mind. We are praying that Peter would be released, that he's in prison. We know that thing. We are praying for his release. We are not even come to the end of our prayer. We are not even said Amen. How come God will act so fast and release him? But she says, no, it is Peter. And then they find that it's Peter. So Peter comes to the house of Mary, who is the mother of Mark, or John Mark, as he's called. And he is the writer of this gospel. Mark is not uh, the disciple of Jesus. Uh, but interesting fact is that Mark was one of the interpreters of Peter. So wherever Peter went to preach, Mark was his interpreter. So Mark basically heard firsthand from Peter, who is one of the disciples of Jesus. So Peter was the one who was a disciple walking with Jesus three and a half years, seeing everything that Jesus did, hearing everything Jesus preached. So Mark was basically getting this information from one of the disciples. So this gospel, in a sense, what Mark is writing here is having this stamp of apostle. You can say this is an apostolic authority that we have behind this gospel. And also when Mark wrote this gospel, when he wrote all these miracles, most of the people who were recipients of these miracles, they were still present, they were still alive. So the man who was healed of leprosy, the man who was paralyzed and whose friends dropped him from the housetop so that he can be healed. And the woman with the blood issue. And Jairus' daughter. All these people, all these recipients of God's grace, they were, some of them were still present. Some of them were still alive when this gospel was written and distributed. So you cannot write anything about Jairus' daughter, something nonsense, because she will be reading this gospel and she said this is not true. So what was written here is accurate account of what really happened. And this is something which is convincing. This is a very good evidence. 
I don't know how many of you watch Law and Order or any of these criminal series. My wife, she loves that. She, she wants to know exactly how the crime was committed and how these people go and go to the original sources to find the evidence and connect that evidence with the person. And that is exactly what is happening here. Mark is giving us the evidence that Jesus is not just ordinary human. He's just not a good teacher who walked on this earth, but he's more than a good teacher. And this evidence compels us to ask this question, who do you think Jesus is? Because this is a very significant question. An answer to this question uh, will shape how you answer other questions about Christianity. An answer to this question also will shape how you view God and also how you view yourself. So this is an important question and uh, we come here to this gospel because there is convincing evidence. There is evidence which is really trustworthy for us to look and Mark presents uh, Jesus here. He starts the gospel. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 1, he starts the gospel by saying, The beginning of good news about Jesus, the Messiah. So it starts by saying, The beginning. He says, This is the beginning. And this has kind of an echo of Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, we say, You see how it starts? It says, In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. And Mark, in a similar way, is saying the beginning of the good news. So in Genesis, we see the beginning how God starts creating the earth and everything in the earth. And here Mark is saying this is the beginning where God is again creating something new. God is again bringing something new to occur. So God is bringing a redemptive work on the earth. And this work is through Jesus his son. So God is a God of beginning. And this Mark here, he says this is a good news. So what Mark is writing, he's saying this is a good news. This is a gospel. And the gospel is good news because it has a message of forgiveness. The gospel is good news because it has a message of redemption, of restoration, of reconciliation. It has a message of life eternal in Christ Jesus. And that's why this is a good news. The word gospel, basically in the Greek, this was basically used for conveying the message of victory. So the kings in the past, they used to go for war. They used to war and they used to go and fight with the neighboring kings. They want to conquer the land, like you see Putin doing that thing. Now he just wants to conquer Ukraine. So that's what they did in the past, the kings. And when there was a victory, one of the servants would come and say this word, gospel. It meant victory news. It means this is the news of victory. This is the good news. And that's what Mark is saying. What is about to ride is the good news, is the news of victory of Christ Jesus. Now it says this news is about Jesus. So this gospel is about the person called Jesus. This is not about you and me. This good news is not about you. Because the Bible is about God. That's why Genesis or Mark, they start with God. This is God's story. This is not our story. 
And Mark here, he says, this good news is about Jesus. So Jesus basically is the Greek for the Hebrew word Joshua, which is used in the Old Testament. And Joshua basically means Yahweh saves or Yehovah is salvation. That's what Joshua or that's what Jesus means. And that's when, when the angel comes and tells to Joseph when Mary is pregnant and the angel says that from Matthew chapter 1, he says she will give birth to a son and you shall give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. It means he will save his people. And even in the book of Acts, it says in chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. So this Jesus basically means savior. So Mark is saying this Jesus is not just an ordinary person, but he is a savior. He has come to save his people. That's what he has come to do. And then Mark gives one more title to Jesus. He says he is the Messiah. And Messiah, again, is the Hebrew word for Christ, which is the Greek word. Messiah means anointed one. Anointed one. Most of us have heard this word anointing a lot of times, right? I don't know if you have any charismatic or Pentecostal friends or if you ever drop into a charismatic church, you always hear this word anointed or anointing. Somebody preaches a good sermon, he says he's an anointed preacher. If Aaron goes and plays there, they'll say he's an anointed singer or he's an anointed musician. But what does this word anointed mean basically? See, anointed doesn't mean something special. It, it basically means that somebody is set apart for a specific task. That's what anointed means. In the Old Testament, the way they anointed people was they would pour the oil on their head. And there were three types of people who were anointed, the prophet, priest, and the kings. So they were anointed for a specific task. And Mark is saying this Jesus is not just a savior, but also he is a Messiah, he is a Christ, because he's been anointed, he has been set apart for a specific job. And his job is basically to come and accomplish God's purposes on the earth, to accomplish salvation, to accomplish redemption. That is the specific task that he has been chosen for. And Heidelberg Catechism actually gives a good explanation of what anointed means. In Heidelberg Catechism, question number 31, the question asks, why is he called Christ that is anointed? Why is Jesus called Christ, that is anointed? And the answer is because he is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. So the first thing is that he's called anointed because he is the chief prophet or the teacher. He has come to reveal to us God's will and purpose. And the second thing he says, he's called anointed because he is our high priest who by one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us. 
and also to be our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in that salvation he has purchased for us so christ to be called anointed it means that he is the prophet he is the priest and he is the king he is a prophet because he is a messenger from god in one sense he brings the message of god and that's what we see jesus in the gospels we see that he preaches he teaches his disciples we see we read the sermon on the mount that is jesus actually is a sermon basically is teaching because he's a prophet his job is to bring this message from god to god's people and also he's a high priest and that's the reason why he offers himself on the cross he's the one who pays the price for our sins and also he is the eternal king he is anointed and that means that he is the eternal king and the jews were actually waiting for this king to come and jesus he is that king long awaited king and if you have read mark's gospel in chapter 8 jesus asked this very question to his disciples he says who do you think i am or who do people say i am and peter is the one who boldly confesses and says you are the messiah you are the christ and where they were actually standing they were actually in philippi caesarea which is a gentile territory they were surrounded by gentiles by those who did not believe in yahweh and in the midst of those people peter makes this confession saying that you are the christ the messiah he boldly tells this thing but then jesus says blessed are you simon son of jonah why does he call him blessed because he says this was not revealed to you by man but this was revealed to you by my father so peter did not have this revelation of jesus that he is the christ that is the anointed by himself but this was revealed to him by christ in a sense because it is god who opened peter's eyes to see who jesus really was he was not just a good teacher he was not just a miracle worker but he was the messiah the christ the anointed one so unless god opens the eyes you cannot really see who he is most of you know that i come from a hindu background i grew up in the hindu family and i got saved in india and when i came to australia i was living in one of the church properties and this was very large property so there was one family which came from rwanda and there was this civil war going on and this family escaped that war and they were living in this church property and my pastor thought it would be a good idea because i myself been a migrant i can help them and navigate them how to live in this beautiful country and one day as i was uh, sharing my testimony with this family and after i shared my testimony i told them that i was from a hindu background and this lady asked me a simple question uh, she said you you say you are a hindu uh, you were a hindu so i heard that hindus worship cow and did you worship cow and i said yeah i i used to worship cow 
and then she started laughing she was like laughing madly like and I was standing there I was thinking what is funny about it <laughs> and she was like did you not know that cow cannot give you anything that cow is just an animal is not god how foolish that you are worshiping it and I stood there really I was completely standing stupid and I was feeling like I was really one of the dumbest person how could I worship cow I was thinking like I have gone through good school they taught me science physics everything so I, I was not that dumb because then I realized unless god opens your eyes you cannot truly see who he is we were all dead in our sins and trespasses is god who takes that initiative and when god's spirit works in you that's when your eyes are opened and that's when you can see jesus as a christ as a anointed one as a prophet as a priest as a king and as we are reciting apostles creed we each week we say i believe in jesus christ so when you say this word christ it is not his surname it is it means anointed one do you truly understand what you're confessing because when you say that jesus is christ you're saying that he is the prophet you're saying that he is the one who has the teachings so do you turn to him do you turn to his word to get understanding to form your world view or do you turn to the world when you say jesus is cross you are also confessing that he is the high priest he is the one who has paid the price for your sin and my sin so when you say he is the cross you are admitting that you are a sinner and that you need someone to save you you need someone to pay that price for your sins and when you say that jesus is christ you're also admitting that he is the king he's the king over your life he's the king over your hearts there's so many opinions there's so many ideas of who jesus is out there in the world and even we as christians many times we take the scriptures and we twist it to suit our own comforts to suit our own purposes we like the jesus who is like the atm machine who continuously dispenses blessings who continually gives us wealth and prosperity many times we have this jesus of our own imagination the jesus that mark presents here in the gospel is a jesus who is not only a good teacher not only a savior but also the messiah is also the christ is also the anointed one he is a prophet he is a priest and he also is the king and when you come to this king you only come on his terms you cannot come on your terms to this king cannot come to this king to negotiate with him i don't know if you have watched movies of kings and wars the defeated king or defeated person when he comes to this conqueror he comes laying down his weapons he comes there and stands in humility 
When we admit that Jesus is the king, is the ruler of this world, we only can come into his presence laying down our weapons, laying down our desires, laying down our ambitions. We can come into his presence with humility. And Mark also says, this Jesus is son of God. So Mark is basically saying, Jesus is the Messiah, but at the same time, he's also the son of God. And as last week, Pastor Eugene was sharing with us, this term, son of God, it was basically used in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. So if you remember, the Israel were basically captives in the land of Egypt. And they were suffering under the Pharaoh. And God chooses Moses and sends Moses to go and tell to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can go and worship me. And he says, Israel is my firstborn son. So God says this nation of Israel, this holy nation is in one sense, he is my firstborn son. So there is a spiritual connection between God and this people. So God is saying, I am the father and these are my children in a sense and these are my son. That is a title given to Israel. But then as we move on to the Old Testament, this title gets narrower. And in Psalm 2, this title is used for King David. In Psalm 2, it says that today I become your father and you are my son in a sense. And David is called the son of God. So in one sense, the king of Israel is now called the son of God. So we see the whole nation of Israel being called son of God and it gets narrower and it's saying King David is now son of God. So just turn with me to Psalm 2. Let me just quote that Psalm. In Psalm 2 it says here, He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. So this is God saying to King David that you are my son and I have become your father. But this, we see this fulfillment in Jesus because he is the perfect fulfillment of this sonship. Because Israel failed to be the true son of God. They were disobedient. They were rebelling against God. In the same way we see King David also failing. He commits sin of adultery. He is also not the perfect son of God. So these are all the, in a sense, shadows in one sense, pointing to the true son, that's Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of this sonship. Because he is obedient to the every word of God. He walks perfectly, keeping all the commandments. And John, in, in the John's Gospel, he says, Jesus, basically he says in John 3, which is a very popular verse, most of you know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So he John is saying basically that Jesus is one and only son. In one sense he's saying that Jesus is the unique son of God. He's not like you and me. We are all children of God. If you believe in Jesus, you and I, we are all sons and daughters of God. But Jesus in a sense is a unique son. He is not like you and me. That's what John meant when he says that he gave his one and only son is in one sense a unique son. And then the other writers of New Testament, they expand on that and they give us what this son 
really is. This Jesus is different and unique to us in a sense because if you just turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, we'll just quickly look into a couple of verses. Hebrews 1 in verse 3 says, The Son, this is the Son of God, this is Jesus. It says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. So this Son is the exact representation of God the Father. So what is true about the Father is true about the Son. So Son is also divine being. He is fully God. Just turn again with me to book of Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 15 I'll just read a few verses. Verse 15 says the Son is the image of the invisible God. So this Son, this Jesus is the invisible image is the image of the invisible God. So God who is the Spirit, Jesus in one sense he reflects what God is perfectly to you and to me. So Jesus, in a sense, as he appears on the earth here, as he's incarnated, as he comes, as he's born to the Virgin Mary, he is the perfect representation of this invisible God. So as we look at Jesus, we are basically looking at God the Father. And that's what Jesus says to Philip. If you're seeing me, you're seeing the Father. So this son is not just a messiah, this son is not just a savior, but he is God himself. He is the very God himself, he is the second person of Trinity. And going further in Colossians, he says that in verse 16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. See, the writer of this book, Colossians, Paul, basically is making it very clear that it is through Christ that all things have been created. So in one sense he's saying, Christ is the creator. That is a very significant thing. Because there is one distinction between God and us. He is the creator and we are created beings. We are not creators. He is the creator because he has created his heavens and earth out of nothing. And that Latin word is ex nihilo. Out of nothing he creates this world. Whereas we... We are creative in a sense because we use the things which are present to us. We use the timber, we use the soil and we create these buildings. So we are creating out of something. But he creates out of nothing. And that's what he is a creator. That's what is a distinct about the God of the Bible. And that's what in book of Genesis he starts by giving description about this God that he is a creator. And Paul writing here says that Jesus is creator. So everything that was created was created through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is very God from very God. 
So the term, the title son of God basically is referring to his divinity in a sense. And Mark is presenting this Jesus as the second person of Trinity as a very God from very God. And we see in uh, the baptism of Jesus, when he's baptized, there is this voice from heaven, the voice of Father. And he says that, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So this voice also confirms, so Father himself is confirming that this Jesus is my son. He's confirming it and saying that I'm well pleased with him. I'm pleased to hand over to him this mission, this purpose of bringing reconciliation. And that's what Jesus is. He becomes our redeemer. Now what does this Jesus do? What does he do when he comes on this earth? Uh, Quickly jumping to verse uh, 14 and 15. Jesus, as he begins the ministry, because he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, he is the prophet, so he starts proclaiming the word, he starts preaching the word, he starts giving out this message from God the Father to his people. And he says here, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And in verse 14 he says, the good news of God. So this news is about God. This this news is about Jesus. So Jesus is the content, the subject of this news. And he says the time has come. So time is fulfilled. This is the right time, he says, for God to act decisively, to bring this redemption, to bring this salvation. And he says the kingdom has come near. The kingdom has come near because the king is present. The king Jesus is present in the midst of the people. So he's saying, I am near, I am at hand. Or in one sense, Jesus is saying, I have come down from heaven on earth and I have opened my office here on earth for you guys. My office is open for business. Come. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that my office is open. On this world. And these doors are open. Come, let's have business. But how can you step into that office? How can you come into this kingdom of God? He says, repent and believe the good news. So the first thing is to repent. And most of us know repent means to turn back from our sins and turn to God. Repent means a change of direction, basically. Change of direction. If you are marching in this direction, repentance means you turn or just reverse from that direction. That's what repent means. I don't know how many of you are watching the test series, Australia and South Africa. I'm not sure how many are cricket fans here. But I, I, one thing I love about test matches, like you have these fast bowlers. They start the innings. They start the match. So there is this fast bowler who is running almost like 50 yards or something. He's having this red cherry. They call it the red cherry, right? And like Mitchell Starch, he comes bowling. He bowls at like 145 or 150 kilometers per hour. That is the speed, I think, he bowls. 
and the poor batsman who is standing there, the batsman, is, he just has a fraction of a second even to spot the ball there. Because this guy is running and marching towards the crease and he's releasing the ball at 150 kilometers per hour. And the poor batsman, he just has a fraction of a second to spot that ball. And the moment he spots the ball, he swings its bat. And if the ball and the bat connect, what happens? As he swings the bat, the, the, the direction of the ball changes completely. The ball which was coming towards him, now as he swings the bat, it goes on the opposite direction. It goes towards the boundary. See, there is a change of direction and that's exactly what repentance looks like. So we who are born in sin, we who are dead in our sins and trespasses, we are marching in our sins, basically. We are marching in this sin. And as we encounter Jesus, there is a change of direction. Because we recognize who Jesus is. And we recognize that the only way to come into his kingdom is by confessing our sins and repenting. There is a change of direction then. That's what repentance looks like. So before, so we have here before us this king and we know one thing with the kings, right? And the scriptures very plainly tell about Jesus, the king. He will return back and he will come with judgment. The first time he has come, the Christmas that we celebrated, was about salvation. The first time he came was to bring salvation. But the second coming has very clearly been, clearly been shown to us in the scriptures. Jesus so often tells us about his second coming. He says he's going to return back as a king on the clouds of heaven. He will come to judge everyone. And that is what king do. King judges. So this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you know this Jesus as your king? Do you know this Jesus as your Lord? Because he's coming soon to judge each and every one. But if you know this Jesus as your king, if you know this Jesus as your savior, if you know this Jesus as your Messiah, the high priest who died on the cross for your sins, then you have this assurance that you will be with him on that day. That you will have this Time of eternity you will be with him in heaven. And even on this earth you have eternal life. But if you do not know him as your savior, if you do not know him as your king, as your high priest, then let me urge you, do not delay. The Holy Spirit is prompting you this morning, do not delay, but come to this king and make peace with this king. Confess your sins and ask him for forgiveness because he is always ready to forgive. He is always waiting for us to come to him in repentance. So as you each week confess Apostles' Creed, as you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, 
take a moment to reflect what it means for Jesus to be Christ. Let me pray. Gracious and Holy Father, we thank you for your Son, Lord Jesus. We thank you uh, that he, Lord, was set apart to be our high priest, to be our prophet, and to be our king. And we ask that you would help us uh, to reflect on these uh, spiritual truths. And we thank you, Lord, uh, for choosing us, though we do not deserve. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.